Hi everyone, it's Nick Daze. You're about to listen to episode 4 of the podcast. In it, we ask each other some questions that we didn't really anticipate. For example, we talk about the Bill of Rights, which we all think of as having 10 amendments to the Constitution. In fact, there were 12. 11 of them have been ratified, and one got lost kind of to the sands of time. Don't you want to know what that's about? In this episode, we cover congressional apportionment, Puerto Rico, Mitch McConnell's game of risk or whatever he's doing, China's National People's Congress, and nihilism. This is Robot F. Kennedy. So this week in the news, Steve King said something. Steve King is the congressman from the 4th District in Iowa, and he said something insane on Twitter, which is some, like, textbook white nationalist stuff. Do you want to, like, quote it? Because it was... It was literarily creepy, in my opinion. So he he's talking about Gert Wilders. The far-right candidate for the Dutch either presidency or prime ministership. Wilders understands that culture and demographics are our destiny. We can't restore our civilization with somebody else's babies. That tweet made me so angry that, like, every few hours it pops into my head while I'm doing something innocuous, like driving or whatever, feeding my children bananas or something. And I just get, like, this really uncharacteristic rage it's just ugly it's an ugly turn of phrase right especially that part we can't can't restore our civilization with somebody else's babies we can we pick that apart for a second we can't restore our civilization without somebody else with somebody else's babies it's like it's 100 it's 100 despicable and i don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole because racists don't deserve our time they're just despicable But he's in the House of Representatives. So this is what I want to talk about, which is he represents one-fourth of Iowans. My question to you, Nick, is have you ever met your representative? Um, I've never shaken hands with my representative. Um, So I've I've never, like, directly met her. Karen Bass, uh, the California's 37th congressional district. Okay. And But I did go to my first town hall a few weeks ago. And so I was in the same room as her and that was very exciting. I don't know. I felt proud of myself and Kendra came and the kids came, but I've never shaken hands with her or talked to her directly. Although something that came up in my conversations with Kendra, I asked her like, do you think I like, do you think she has office hours? Like, do you think I could just like roll up and like, you know, like make an appointment for like 30 minutes of her time and like sit down with her and like have tea or something and like ask her a bunch of questions. Kendra's immediate reaction was that's ridiculous. She represents, you know, 800,000 people or something like that. There's no way that she would have the time to do that. Um, And that kind of like rubbed me the wrong way. It feels like you should, like maybe not every day or every week or every year even, but like you should when you want to or need to maybe have access to your your representative in Congress. Um, I'm curious if you've ever met your representative. No. So I've lived in Ted Lou's district, which is the California 33rd for a long time, but he's only been my congressman for about two years, a little over before that was Henry Waxman. Yeah. And I never met, I never, I've never met any of my congressmen. I don't think he's held a town hall since the election. So I haven't really had an opportunity to meet him. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. It would be cool if you could just like schedule, you know, office hours. So I just looked it up and Karen Bass represents 719,000 people, 719,034 people. And I would imagine that Ted Lieu's district is around that as well. 
And the thing that always pisses me off, and we've talked about this before, but how many people are in the uh, Wyoming congressional district? Isn't it like 400,000 or something like that? It's somewhere in the middle. It's, it's not as low as 400. Wyoming has one congressional district, and the entire population of Wyoming is like 550,000. Um, I'm doing some like real-time searching. So like the, the smallest congressional district is New York's 13th. Oh, that's by area. It's going to be something like Delaware or Rhode Island, like a state that has two, but it's a small state that has two districts. It's Rhode Island's second congressional district, population of 523,000. I hit that on the money. Yeah, you were. <laughs> that was pretty astounding. Credit where credit's due. <laughs> Let's ask a few questions here. Is it fair to the people of California's 37th district that they get theoretically 33% less access to their representative or time and attention bandwidth. And two, is it fair to uh, a congressperson from California or New York or any other place that has maybe a higher, a more populous congressional district that they're being asked to do theoretically 33% more work than their fellow congresspeople um, for the same amount of pay. No, to both of those. It's not fair to, uh, you know, you and your neighbors, and it's not fair to Karen Bass. That the Constitution itself references um, congressional apportionment. It doesn't really seal the deal, so to speak, but it's a actually a federal statute that was passed in the early right. 1900s mm-hmm. that sets the congressional apportionment. So like in a weird way, you have this, uh, I don't think it's ever been challenged or tested in the Supreme Court. We've got a federal statute or congressional bylaws kind of overruling or at least really taking advantage of an area where the, Cong- where the Constitution is a little bit vague or a little bit underbaked in regard to congressional apportionment. So in Article 1, Section 2, it says, The number of representatives shall not exceed one for every 30,000, but each state shall have at least one representative. Well, they exceeded that a long, long, long time ago, like almost immediately. Yeah. I mean, but this was written at a time before they knew how many people lived in each state. So let's let's brainstorm, or I'd love you to talk me through some of the constraints that the early Congress had. I mean, the obvious ones that come to mind are like travel distances and stuff like that, right? Travel and technology, which I guess is part of travel. Although I don't quite know why travel would be a limitation on the size of a district. Yeah, it wouldn't. Would it? If anything, they wanted to limit the size of a district so that a person, so that a congressman could know his constituency, right? Absolutely. And I think it's vital to that congressperson doing their job effectively. So let's dive into the original Second Amendment. I think it's the original First Amendment. Oh, you're right. So let's dive into the original First Amendment, which is called the Congressional Apportionment Amendment. Each district is going to be 30,000 people. But when Congress gets to 100, when the House of Representatives gets to 100 representatives, then they're going to reapportion it so that each district is 40,000 people. Then when it gets to 200 representatives, they add another 10,000 to each district. So that was kind of the plan, right? Yeah. Every time the House of Representatives reached another 100, they expand the districts just a little bit. So I did the math earlier today, and the United States, as of 2010, has 308 million people. Yep. So A, if that amendment had been ratified, and if we had just left it at that, which only goes as far as 50,000 people per district, there would currently be 6,175 people in the House of Representatives. I think that is awesome. 
And I think that's what we should do. I think we should ratify the original First Amendment. So do you know if there, if there are any states that have ratified this? I mean, it's been lingering since the 1780s, right? Yeah, it's, it's been ratified by 11 states. 11 of the first 15 states ratified it, but it never got to the three-fourths that it needed. It was always like one behind or something like so that. So if, if today, if it were to pass, if it were to get some momentum, it, we, we, theoretically, 11 states have already ratified it. And you need, what, like 38 today to get it to pass with 50 states. So that means that if we could, if we could just convince, if we could launch right now a, like a lobbying effort and get 27 sympathetic states to ratify this amendment that's been on the books. Who's the original author of this amendment? Was it James Madison? Yeah. It's like the Madisonian effort, right? We go in, we just convince everybody, maybe get Lin-Manuel Miranda to like write a great <laughs> song about it. And 27 states, state legislatures ratify this amendment and it becomes law, right? It becomes a part of the Constitution. Mm-hmm. So this would be the 28th Amendment. Yeah. I'm a big fan of this. And you know what? I think you could make a strong case that technology really for the first time enables us to actually effectively implement this constitutional amendment for the first time in American history. Okay, well, 6,175 is crazy. It's way too high of a number. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing when it passes, and this is going to be my life's work. So um, (laughs) as far as I understand it, there is, I don't know if it's a federal law or if it's just like a bylaw or a rule. It says that representatives cannot vote on legislation unless they are physically on the floor of the house Mm -hmm. itself it's a self-selecting population of people that will ever even consider running for congress Mm -hmm. so one kind of personal anecdotal thing kendra and i were kicking around the idea of running for congress um Mm -hmm. and one of the things that came up was she said you've got a weird choice nick on your hands right you you, we either relocate to washington dc and then the next time you run for assuming you get elected when you run for re-election people are going to uh, accuse you of being out of touch and not right. connecting with your constituents. Or I'm going to basically be a single mother with a three-year-old and a one-year-old and never see you because you're going to be commuting often cross-country. So the further away you get physically, geographically, the further away you get from Washington, D.C., the more of a disincentive there is. You know, the famous old stories of like Joe Biden taking Amtrak to work and then getting home before dinner. Right. Like, if you were the senator from Hawaii. Yeah, which I just looked up. It's 4,800 miles from Washington. Right. It's not even an option. So really what you get is older people, people with fewer commitments, people without young children, people that are already independently wealthy. Um, you're self-selecting for traits that, good or bad, it certainly isn't representative of a, wi- a wide swath of America. Mm-hmm. So going back to the original First Amendment, mm-hmm. here would be here would be my proposal. Ready? You ratify the f- original First Amendment. Mm-hmm. You uh, increase the number of representatives in the House of Representatives to six thousand one hundred. What is it? Six thousand. Six thousand one hundred seventy-five. And you make them all remote. Representative. So you abolish the rule that says you can't vote on the floor. I mean, you can't vote on bills unless you're physically on the floor mm-hmm. of the House of Representatives. And you work on some sort of um, safe and secure uh, technological method whereby those 6,000 members can video conference in 
or they can, uh, you know, super securely vote. Maybe there's some uh, cryptographically secure hardware that they have in their office, um, in their actual district that allows them to cast a vote remotely that is safe and secure and not going to be tampered with, right? And you get rid of their offices in Washington, D.C. You keep the offices in the Capitol building for basically House leadership, right? So you still have the the um, majority and minority leader. You still have the Speaker of the House, the whip, et cetera, have offices. You probably have offices there for heads of committees. So I have a few things to say. A, the senators in the Galactic Senate in Star Wars had no trouble getting to the Senate in order to place their vote, and they had to travel light years. So your argument doesn't hold water. All right. Well, when you invent the hyperdrive, right, you get a Millennium Falcon for Lisa Murkowski in Alaska to get to Washington, <laughs> D.C., then we'll, we'll be in business. Secondly, what about consensus building? It would become immensely more difficult to build a consensus when you have to convince 3,000 3,089 people or something like that to vote with you. I think that's a really valid point. I just think that one, I think at least in this current moment, consensus is really a daydream um, in the Congress. And two, what you'd more likely see would be like geographic blocks, right? Where people or constituent, let's say, you know, the Rocky Mountain constituency um, gets together locally, or maybe you set up um, regional seats where they, where members can meet up. You, sure, you'll get a, like, I think probably a lot less broad coalition building, but I don't know. I mean, it seems like a crappy deal the way it is now. I agree. And, and this very clearly seems like something that the founders spent a lot of time on and um, like spent enough time and thought on to draft an amendment to the Constitution for that never passed. Right. They were pretty smart people. What you're describing would require kind of a paradigm shift in the idea of representing your district in Congress, right? Because now you're never leaving your district and you're representing them virtually. And We've talked about, we talked about it a little a few weeks ago in, in relation to, you know, how quickly things are changing when it comes to technology. And I should remind you that the average congressperson was born in 1959. But see, that's exactly the, like, that's one of my points is that that's got to change. So when you increase the number of seats, you're increasing competition. You're going to have a huge influx of people that have never had government experience that are now going to be involved in the political process. And I think, you know, we, we already have the artificially limited, more Republican, and I don't mean that Republican Party, I mean, like, lowercase r Republican body of the Congress, and that's the Senate, right, which is artificially limited to 100 members. It was already, as far as we can tell, intended that the House of Representatives would be a much larger body, and it would be a body that was more tied to direct representation of its citizenry. Um, and the Senate, I mean, was fundamentally anti-democratic. I mean, at the time, at the original, for the first hundred years, they were, the senators were appointed by, by the state legislatures. Yeah. So while we're talking about the constitution, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that when the founder said 30,000 people, they meant 30,000 counted people. That's another great point. You're absolutely right. So I'll push back again on this idea of 6,175 people in Congress, which is insane. I think it's awesome. I think it's lovely. It's insane. And 
for reference, I'm going to point to China. Yeah. Has a, has a population of 1.35 billion. Yeah. And only half that number of representatives. Half the, they have 600 million representatives? No, no. They have 3,000 representatives. Oh. In a country that's four times the size of the United States. Four times the population of the United States. So is their ratio higher or lower than ours? It's lower. It's lower than our current ratio. Yeah, our current ratio, if you count senators, roughly 600,000 people per representative. And if China has 1.3 billion people represented by 3,000... 450,000. I don't want to get bogged down in the math, but each uh, 450,000 Chinese people are represented by someone in their legislature, whereas in the United States, that number is closer to 600,000. Wait, that means they have a better ratio. That means each Chinese member of the Communist Politburo or whatever, what's the deliberative body in China? I don't know. The Chinese legislature? The Chinese legislature. National People's Congress. The National People's Congress. There's one representative for every 433,000 constituents. In communist fucking China, (laughs) there is more direct representation than there is in the United States of America. Yeah. And that's That's crazy just because it seems like a misalignment of our values, right? I agree. So I worked out a compromise. So this is not Madison's original First Amendment. It's Quintana's 28th Amendment. Okay. It's that we basically take the formula that the Founding Fathers, you know, wrote into the original First Amendment, which is every time the body gets to 100, you add 10,000 to the district size. I walked this formula through history, and it would get to a point today where each district would have approximately 190,000 people in it, still much better than any district at present, right? And it would give you a congressional body of 1,625 people. So if you spent 15 minutes with every constituent, you'd be spending 47,000 hours, which is... (laughs) That's more than your term. (laughs) Yeah, which is five years meeting every one of your constituents without sleeping and you're never sleeping (laughs) yeah without sleeping or or eating so i still think that's too much right yeah but but i mean yes in pure idealistic democratic terms but but those are babies nick (laughs) that's true i mean i think it's a it's a perfectly good compromise let me ask this counter question would you would you implement um the daze corollary to the quintana amendment that um had remote representation um outside of washington dc yeah i think I think so. Otherwise, you'd have to build so much office space, you wouldn't even, you'd have to tear down the National Mall to build office space for all those people. Right. So right now, Congress is either in session or a recess. And I would add basically a third, you know, I would create some parliamentary term for it where you can, you have the option to vote remotely. So maybe the first, you know, two months of each Congress, you've got to be in Washington because that's when the most business gets done. Sure. So, so maybe it, you know, it's important for everyone to be there then. But there, there's also the question of how do you pay for it? Although at the end of the day, even though this would this would make a lot of conser- fiscal conservatives roll their eyes at me for saying this, the annual payroll, not including benefits of the current members of the House of Representatives is about $76 million a year, which is like a drop in the flipping bucket compared to the federal budget. Right. Um, and at 1600 that would be $278 million a year at my at my. At my pipe dream of 6,000 representatives, would be about a billion dollars a year, mm-hmm. um, just in salaries alone. Yeah. <laughs> because then you have to look at stuff like, are congresspersons paid enough? 
uh, I would say it depends on where you live. I think mm-hmm. maybe you get a little weird, but if you started to tie uh, congressional compensation to localized cost of living, maybe out per congressional district, maybe you could save a lot of money that way. That's true. But another thing that I think about now without either of our amendments is the congressperson from Wyoming how do they do they have houses all over the state like what a gigantic territory to cover and one that is difficult to traverse and the same thing with the alaska i mean alaska has yeah. one congressperson i think no maybe maybe really? two okay i mean that's an interesting question like i know uh my congresswoman karen bass has i think two office two field offices so i'm assuming there are multiple offices in those states but how much time do you spend in each of them how do you staff them Right. We're, we're also forgetting that for every one, when I was talking about the money, right, or the salaries, that's just for the congresspersons. They all have budget for staff, right? Well, but also a lot of their expenses are paid by their PACs. What's, what's the breakdown there? Do we know about that or are we getting into the weeds of, uh, of, of unknowing? We know what the PACs are spending. We just don't know where they're getting their money from. I'm not sure. It feels like something we should pause on so that we don't riff into bullshit. I'm curious. I, I know a little bit just because I know that the other day, Jason, how do you say his last name? Ch- Chaffetz? Chaffetz. Chaffetz. Jason, Jason Chaffetz. From Utah when he said that people are going to have to choose between their iPhones and their health insurance. I did a little research and it's like 75% of his health insurance is paid by taxpayers and yeah. his iPhone is paid for by his pack. Right. Well, that's a whole other. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know where the, yeah, we should do a different show about like congressional like compensation and budgeting and super PACs and all that. I don't know. I just, I, I really fundamentally feel I, like I feel really strongly that we're not reflecting in the house of representatives, the original intent of the founders that there was supposed to be one body that was much more direct, directly representative and another body that was to be abstracted away. Um, and that's the Senate. And um, I mean, this kind of like plays in the same pool of congressional reform, where not only do I think that congresspersons are not compensated appropriately and there aren't enough of them, but then you start getting into statehood, right, where you have millions and millions of Americans that don't have representation in Congress, mm-hmm. um, whether they live in, in the District of Columbia or they live in Puerto Rico or they live in um, other. Those are the um, big ones, but yeah, other areas that are not don't have full statehood really it's kind of where the rubber meets the road of like the idea of america and then the pragmatic exercise of america i always hate that subject no but i think that's a great point you know in our history books we learn that america is this idea and you find that it was a great idea it had its problems when it was created obviously slavery but and many others but it was this great idea and it is frustrating the ways in which we idolize that past so much that we haven't kept up with the times. Yeah. And this is such a perfect example of like, yeah, they, they couldn't have understood exponential population growth, right? Yeah. Or westward expansion or the railroad. So now that we have those things and understand those things, we need to make our government reflect the changing reality. I, I completely agree. So yeah, like, let me throw this at you, right? Like, why is Puerto Rico not a state? When was the last time Puerto Rico had a referendum to, to vote for statehood? 2012. Puerto Rico voted, had a statehood vote in November of 2012. And what was the outcome of that? This is a weird, it was phrased in a weird way. 
it was, do you want to maintain the status quo? <laughs> was the first question. And no, one. And of those who answered the second question, which is statehood, independence, or a sovereign nation and free association with the United States. I don't understand what that means. It, anyway, it's, I guess it's inconsequential because a majority, 61%, chose statehood. Wait, so a majority of Puerto Ricans chose statehood in the United States? Yeah, five years ago. And Puerto Rico is not a state? Yeah. May I ask why? Do you have any sense as to why? Well, this is according to Wikipedia. Because there were almost 500,000 blank ballots in the 2012 referendum, creating confusion as to the voters' true desire. How could there have been that many? Congress decided to ignore the vote. Of course. See, so that, that's exactly what I assumed in a very cynical way. The fifth referendum will be held on June 11th, 2017. Just soon. In three months. Yeah. And I bet it's going to be a landslide because they've been having their sovereign debt crisis. And right. of course they want statehood. But Congress won't let them because they would probably be a democratic state mm -hmm. and could tip the balance of particularly the Senate. But what's sad about that is you've got a geographic body that is part of the United States of America. The people that are born there are American citizens. They have American passports. They pay American taxes. They mm -hmm. want to be a state. Mm -hmm. We're going to disenfranchise them because it like messes up like Mitch McConnell's little like risk board. <laughs> like that is so cynical to me. And, it, and it, we're starting to get into the veins of the conversation we've had before of this cynicism of overturning the Voting Rights Act, disenfranchising voters, uh, making it harder for people to vote. The way I look at it, like that's one of the most nakedly aggressive and cynical and nihilistic undercurrents of our, our modern time because it's basically saying that a, a group of people is willing to undermine their ideals and they're willing to undermine the ideals that their country was founded on for political gain and disenfranchise a fellow citizen that it's just like, if you can't win election, like if you can't win majorities, mm -hmm. unless you make sure like a bunch of black people, like only have one vote, like polling place to go to in the entire state mm -hmm. or like in their entire district or there's no early voting. So elderly or disabled people can't vote or whatever tactics are being used in myriad ways across the country. Mm -hmm. Like if you can't win majorities without perverting the system like that, then maybe it's your ideas that need to be called into question, not the makeup of Americans that can vote on your ideas. Yeah. Did I tie myself into a verbal knot there? No, you didn't. But you reminded me of something that I should have brought up earlier, which is another reason why, especially in this current political climate, the Daze Amendment, the original First Amendment doesn't pass, which is that if you have 6,000 congresspeople, you are drastically increasing the political power of urban centers. Of course. Of those 6,000 people serving in Congress, you will have an overwhelming Democratic majority. That's what gets me down so much, buddy. Like, that <laughs> saddens me, right? Because it's like, if something's the right thing to do and you don't benefit from it directly, and then you don't do the right thing, that just seems so sad to me. I agree. That it seems like the alternative is, oh, a majority of people think X, Y, and Z. Maybe we should do X, Y, and Z, or at least try X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm rather than eliminating the numbers of people that can vote. 
for representation. Yeah. I, uh, this is a bummer, man. <laughs> but you're right. It, it, it gets to the heart of so many issues right now. And particularly that the, both parties are so entrenched that it's difficult, them, it's difficult for them to kind of see how they would adapt to change, right? I feel like both of them have their constituencies and don't want, are afraid of kind of upsetting that balance. Even, I mean, it's easy for us to point out the ways in which the Republicans are like slamming on the brakes because their current platform does not succeed in a world with 6,000 congressmen. Maybe that's direct evidence that that, their platform is a bunch of bullshit. Mm -hmm. If you can't get the votes without distorting the electoral landscape, then maybe you should question your, your own ideas. Yeah. I don't think that's a very winning argument, but <laughs> it's what I really believe. Yeah. I really believe that there should be more. I think more people should be active in the political process. I think more people should run for office. That, I think, is the big thing. You know, I signed up for Run for Something, and, which is a great organization, and I would highly recommend anyone who's thinking about running for office for checking out their website. But as I looked over the list of the offices that, I could run for it was like these are massive yeah and it really was overwhelming because like you're saying it's like this is a thing that i would have to basically pause my life to do which i guess is evidence that i'm not called to public service at least not on that level but i think that it should be more direct you know direct democracy and there it shouldn't be so daunting i don't know maybe maybe this is a cop-out but I think a district closer to 190,000 or what was your 30,000 makes it less daunting and, and is something closer to democracy than what we have now. By the way, the Quintana 28th Amendment, the Quintana Amendment, I would, uh -huh. um, I think it's, I think it's a really good, really solid compromise. I'd, I'd vote for it. Cool. Let's end there then. All right. Thank you for listening to Robot F. Kennedy. You can find us on Twitter at Robot F. Kennedy. I'm Eddie. You can find me at Eddie Quintana. And I'm Nick Daze. You can find me at Nick Daze, N-I-C-K-D-A-Z-E. Boom. <laughs>